So uh, my name is Joel, uh, one of the pastors here uh, at the Church of Cane Bay, and just excited this morning as we are able to continue our um, Pink and Blue series. Um, today we're going to be looking at what it means uh, from from the Bible to be a uh, a godly wife. And uh, so if you guys can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, uh, that would be great. Uh, last week I stood up here and told you, as we were talking about uh, a biblical husband, uh, that I was not a perfect example of that. Uh, I'm going to say the same thing this week, and it's a little more obvious. Uh, I'm not a perfect example of a biblical wife. Um, I do have a wife, and uh, I have a wife who models uh, these characteristics in her life, and so I'm able to see them uh, in her. And, uh, and uh, we're going to just dig into the Word of God this morning and see what Scripture has to say specifically when it comes to uh, this idea of uh, doing your best to live as a godly uh, wife. And so, uh, husbands, just like I asked your wives to last week, uh, just ask that you continually show your wife grace as she grows in these areas and so that you guys are able to accomplish the purpose that God has set for you as you uh, live, work, and enjoy uh, marriage together. Uh, so we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start in verse 18. In verse 18, it says... The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. First thing that I think we can see uh, specifically in verses 18 through 20 here in Genesis chapter 2 today is that a wife helps. A godly wife is someone who is helping. If you look at the story here, uh, it's a really fascinating passage of scripture. Uh, And there's a big contrast because the first thing that God says when he looks down at man is he says, It's not good that the man should be alone. This is in contrast to Genesis chapter 1. As God has um, worked through these days of creation, at the end of each day, he stopped and he's looked and he said, You know what? What I made today, that is good. And even as he gets to day 6 and looks down at the creation of man, he looks and says, That is very good. But here he's looking down at man. And looking at man, he said, You know what? It's not good. For man to be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. And so God walks through this process of making this happen. I think it's so interesting that the Lord looked at Adam and realized that there was something missing for him. That he needed someone who was like him, who could compliment him. Even realizing, a lot of us say sometimes, all I need is Jesus. Jesus is enough. My relationship with God is enough. God is looking at man who he has an intimate relationship with at this point in time and says, you know what? It's not good for him to be alone. He needs 
someone else. He needs something else. And so he takes him through this process where God brings every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens to Adam to see what Adam would call him. And so Adam goes through this naming exercise, naming these animals as they're brought one by one to him. I feel like somewhere towards the end of that, he must have gotten a little tired because he just started saying crazy things like aardvark and hippopotamus, platypus. But we really don't even know what language Adam is speaking. And so they could have made perfect sense to him and to us. I don't know. Hippopotamus, come on. Um, So Adam is naming all of these. And and we have to ask why. What's the point of this? God has already said, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. So why is God taking him through this process? In verse 20, it says, The man gave names to all livestock and birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. Why did God take him through naming all of these animals when God already knew that he needed to create something else? I think the reason is because God wanted Adam to see what God saw. He wanted Adam to realize that he is lonely, that he needs a companion, that he needs someone else. That though there are all these animals, and animals are great, Uh, in creation, that they weren't right. They weren't a right fit. And he needed someone who was a right fit. He needed a helper. This is where a wife comes in for us today. I want us to look at this idea of what, what it means to be a wife who helps. I think it's important for us to understand that wives, as a helper to your husband, that doesn't mean that you are less in status than him. It doesn't mean that God has created you in some way not to be equal to your husband. Rather, it means that as a helper, you are able to come alongside your husband, compliment him, that you are able to have strengths, maybe where he has weaknesses, and that together, as you guys become one flesh, you're able to better carry out what God has desired for you to do. You see, husbands and wives were created and live equally in the eyes of God, but carry out differently as the hands of God. It's because God has created us equal, but God has given us different things to do as men and women, as husbands and wives. We are to act, respond, work in relationship differently than each other. He's given us these different roles. The word that's used for helper, um, we've seen it twice in this passage and twice in the whole Old Testament. It is used specifically for woman, for Eve, um, to say that she is a helper. But that word, it's ezer, literally uh, is used 16 times throughout the Old Testament um, to say that God was a helper, that he came alongside his people when his people were struggling and provided help to them. It's not something that makes someone less or subordinates them, but rather it's someone who comes alongside and provides help in a difficult situation. Moses named uh, his son in, uh, in Exodus 18, verse 4, he named his son Eliezer, which means God is my helper. And God is certainly a helper to us. And, and wives, we are to imitate what God has done in helping us as we come alongside our husbands and help them. I was trying to think of a way to, to illustrate this. And I honestly ran dry when it came to looking at something like uh, Downton Abbey to come up with a good illustration for being a helper, mostly because I've never seen Downton Abbey. Um, but, uh, I instead, because I'm a little geeky and maybe some of you husbands can dig into this with me, like thought it would be a good idea to use an illustration from Lord of the Rings on wife Sunday. So maybe not, but I'm hoping this works well. So, 
Uh, if you guys have seen Lord of the Rings, you have Frodo, who is this hobbit, and he has this goal. Uh, he has this ring, and this ring is the one ring to rule them all. It's the symbol of evil, and it has to be destroyed. And so Frodo's goal is to take this ring and to take it and destroy it in this crazy volcano thing that's happening. And so Frodo is working towards that task, and he has a friend by the name of Sam. And Sam's his best friend, and when the story begins, and it's a long story, no doubt, but when the story begins, we look at Sam, and Sam, like, we know, he's a friend, he's kind of goofy, but we don't really see, like, what his purpose is, we don't see any strong characteristics in him at all, but along the way, we begin to see that Sam is actually a huge hero in the story of the Lord of the Rings, and uh, there's a great moment where Frodo literally is so close to where he's got to destroy this ring, but because of the journey and everything that has happened to him, he is literally just beaten down and he's laying on the ground and he's saying, I can't go on anymore. I can't do it anymore. And Sam, who realizes that it's not his job to lead and seeing that this ring is destroyed, realizes that it's his job to step in and help his friend who has a great task. And so Sam says to Frodo, he says, I may not be able to carry the ring, but I can carry you. In this great moment, Sam picks up Frodo and carries him on his shoulder as they continue on to see that this ring is destroyed. And I know that's a crazy example, but it's this great idea of what it means to step in where we see need and weakness and provide help to someone we care about. And ultimately, it is this picture of what it means to be uh, someone who helps. Let's, uh, just to break it down a little bit, talk what it looks like in the context of marriage and for you wives what are a couple of things about being a helper number one helping is complimenting we've seen uh, in verse 24 we see this idea that husband and wife come together that they become one flesh literally they are one we see uh, in creation as as we'll see in a little while when god creates eve that he literally creates eve out of adam because they are one flesh and so Um, Here, this idea of oneness, the idea that together God can bring us together and we can accomplish more together than we can ever do on our own. So helping is this idea of complementing, bringing strength where there's weakness, uh, helping your husband to be able to do what God has called him to do in leading, serving, and discipling even better. Uh, What are some ways, uh, just some practical ideas that wives, that we can begin to be a compliment to our husband in these ways? Here's a few things. Number one, um, take personality tests. I don't know if this is anything that you have ever done with your spouse before, but sometimes it's helpful for you to know uh, these are areas where my husband is strong. And there are, yes, areas where your husband is weak as well. And for him to know the same thing about you so that you guys who are called to be one flesh know where each other is strong and know where each other is weak so that you can come together, complement each other even more. Uh, Another idea, number two, talk about things more. Have a conversation with your husband to say, what are ways that I can help you? What are ways that I can step in uh, and help you provide support, provide encouragement that are going to be beneficial to you as you lead our family, as you serve our family, as you disciple our family? Have those conversations. And uh, lastly, uh, number three there, don't fight his strengths. If you see that your husband is stronger in an area than you are, Allow him the opportunity to step up and lead there, to provide leadership for your family. 
just say, you know what? I see that God is working in your life in this way, and I'm going to let you lead the way for our family in this direction. And so helping is complimenting. Uh, Secondly, helping is submitting. Last week I told you we were going to dig into this idea because this for us in the church has become the S word. We're afraid of this. We're scared of this. We don't understand what it means for a wife to submit to her husband. And so I want to dig into this a little bit. Last week we saw it in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to start first by telling you three things that submission is not. And then we'll move on and talk about three things that submission is. The first thing that submission is not when it comes to your relationship uh, with your husband. Submission is not making yourself less. Let me explain uh, what I mean by that. Like I said earlier, God has created us equally, but he's created us with different roles to carry out. Submission in the context of a marriage doesn't mean that you make yourself less than your husband, that you don't have that equal status with him, that you aren't like him. It's one of the great things that Adam noticed about his wife is that she was like him. She was equal to him. And so uh, it's important that you're not thinking that just because I have to submit to my husband, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to make yourself somehow less uh, than him in status at all. It's not making yourself less. Ultimately, your value is not in what you do. Your value is who you are made to be in the image of God. And God has created us equally in his image. That's where our value is. So submitting is not making yourself less. Number two, submission is not putting your husband before Jesus. Submission is not saying, you know what? My husband is my highest authority. Jesus is always your highest authority. Jesus is the one that you say, you submit to, that he is your Lord, that he is your master. That's, that's not your husband. And so if you find yourself in a situation in a marriage where your husband is leading you to do something that doesn't honor Jesus, he's leading you to do something that's sinful, then you submit to your higher authority, who is Jesus, and you follow him as that highest authority. Lastly, submission is not something that you do to all men. Scripture calls you wives to submit to your husbands. You are not called to submit to every man that exists on this earth because there are men out there who don't love you like Jesus loved his church. There are men out there who aren't seeking the best and leading you. You are called to submit to your husband because your husband hopefully is following Christ's command to lead you, to serve you, and to disciple you. And you're called to submit to that role so that your husband can better lead you and your family along the way. So then what is submission if it's not these things? Number one, submission is modeling Jesus. We look in scripture, we see uh, and talk about how God is what we call Trinity, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the Trinity, we see that again, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all equal. They are all God, but that is carried out in different roles. And the way this works specifically in the relationship between the Father and the Son is that we see that God the Father has this leadership role, that God the Father has this sending role. And that as God sent Jesus to come, die for our sins, sacrifice himself, that Jesus the Son submitted to the will of the Father and followed him in obedience, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so Jesus has modeled what it means to submit, even though... 
there is an equal status that is there. So wife, as you submit to your husband, ultimately you're modeling Jesus to him. You're allowing him to see the love that Jesus had, not just for us, the love that he showed the father by being obedient to the father in that way. Number two, submission is discipling. If you look in first Peter chapter three, starting in verse one, it says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the hearts with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Your husband should be seeing Jesus in your life. And like Peter says here, because he's able to see that in your life, he is better able to learn what it means of who Jesus is and follow him even more. And there's a great truth that's here as well. Some of you wives may be in here today with husbands uh, who don't have a relationship with God or, or, or who aren't very far along in their relationship with God and are struggling to lead the way that that Jesus has uh, provided an example for them. And Peter says here that wives, if you are able to submit to him as you can, even in that context, that he will be able to see Jesus in you and ultimately that it might drive him to faith in Christ and knowing him even more. So submitting is discipling. Lastly, submitting is affirming. Submitting is this idea of I am coming, again, alongside my husband with affirmation, with gentleness to say that I trust you. I trust you to lead. Uh, I am affirming the qualities that I see in your life where you're pursuing to be like Jesus, specifically as you're leading our family, as you're serving our family, as you're discipling our family. I want to affirm that I see that in your life. And that kind of affirmation goes a really long way um, in the marriage relationship. So wives, being a helper to your husband doesn't mean that you're making yourself less. But what it means is that you're making him more. As you come alongside him and you're able to compliment him. Again, God has called us to be one flesh. And in that one flesh, we can accomplish so much more together than we could ever do on our own. And so wife, as you come alongside him, you are able to better help him lead, to better help him serve and to better help him disciple your family. So wife helps. Number two, what I want us to see in the rest of this passage, starting in verse 21, is that a wife brings joy. And so we begin to see the story of the creation of Eve here. And what God does is he kind of creates and, and has the first like surgery probably in history. And so he takes this supernatural anesthesia and he puts Adam to sleep. And then while Adam is asleep, he does this cut and he pulls out a rib and then he closes him back up. And uh, from there, he takes that rib and he creates woman. A lot of people wonder why in the world did God not just create woman from dust like he created man? Why did he have to take a rib out of Adam? And the reason is because even in the beginning, uh, when woman is created here, uh, specifically Eve for the purpose of companionship and marriage, that we would see this picture of how God has not created two people to remain two people. That God has created two people to come together and become one flesh. That even in creation, we see this idea 
of one flesh. I love what happens starting in verse 23 here. Adam wakes up from his slumber and it says, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And Adam wakes up and he immediately sees Eve. And there's this great moment of joy where he said, this is it. None of those other animals were a compliment to me. None of them were suitable for me. But in my wife, I see here in Eve that she is someone who is like me. She is someone who compliments me. And ultimately, she's someone who completes me. She makes me whole. There's a great joy in Adam's life as he sees Eve in this way. He immediately knew it. And he names her woman. Because he knows she is like me. She is of this equal status. Um, When I met my wife a few years ago, um, we were in college and uh, I met her at this uh, pizza place. And we kind of had this moment where we we sat down and started having a conversation. And like I left that evening and meeting her and went home to my house and my mom was like sitting up reading in the kitchen and I walked in and I'm just kind of like walking like a zombie. Like I'm totally dazed because I'm still like blown away by this woman that I've met. And my wife is like, what in the world is wrong with you? What's going on? And I was like, mom, I think I met the girl that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. She is the kind of person who could compliment me. I went back to my dorm room and and I went and my roommate wasn't there. And so I sat down on my bed and literally just sat there and stared off into space for the longest time. Just thinking my roommate comes back and he walks in the room and he's like, what is going on with you? And I, I share the same thing with him. I had this moment like Adam did when I met her where she brought me great joy. And I said, at last, God has given me this woman. And a wife should be bringing that kind of joy um, to her husband. So what are ways, wives, that in your marriage today, you can be bringing joy um, to your husband? Here's a couple of things. Number one, encourage him. Your encouragement to your husband means more than encouragement from anyone else. Here's the reason why. You see your husband when he fails. You see your husband when he struggles. You know his weaknesses. And if you, knowing all of his weaknesses, can come alongside your husband and encourage him and say, I really, really want to thank you for doing this today. I really want to thank you for leading our family in this way today. That's going to mean more to him than hearing it from anybody else because he knows that's real talk. You know him at his best and you know him at his worst. And if you're encouraging him, If you're giving him these these words of praise, that's the real deal because you're seeing that through all the bad that's in his life. And it's more encouraging from you than it is from anyone else. Uh, Number two, show affection. Figure out what your husband uh, enjoys when it comes to affection and show it to him. And I'm not just talking about uh, big moments of affection that, that leads the bedroom. I'm talking about little consistent things that happen throughout the day in life. What are ways, wives, that you can show consistent affection to your husband? Every time Emily reaches out and grabs my hand to hold it, it takes me to uh, a long time ago when we were out in the country in Mississippi and we were walking through this beautiful graveyard. 
and we held hands for the first time. Every time she holds my hand, it reminds me of that moment and it brings joy to my heart and to my life. Figure out what that is for your husband. What ways that you can show him that kind of affection and bring him joy uh, in his life. Uh, Number three, be a friend. Your relationship with your husband should be the greatest friendship in your life. Find things that you know he's interested in and take some interest in them. Ask him questions about it. Uh, whether it's, it's, it's guns, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whatever it is, take some interest in those things so that you guys can continue to grow closer together, to have a relationship that honors Jesus. Have those conversations. Um, Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, uh, one of the, the funniest, probably two verses in all of Scripture, uh, he compares... Uh, basically he's talking about the opposite of this, the kind of wife that you don't want to live with. And he says in chapter 29, he says, it's better to live on the corner of a roof. And then in another verse, he says, it's better to live in the desert than to live in a house with an ill-tempered and quarrelsome wife. This is not what we want to shoot for wives. You want to be someone who's bringing joy to your husband, not someone who makes your husband want to live on the roof. That's a bad deal. Be somebody who's bringing great joy to the life of your husband. It honors Jesus and it brings uh, a joy to your marriage. And so a wife helps, a wife brings joy. Lastly, a wife is someone who respects. Last week we looked in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul ties Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 together by using uh, this verse that we saw in verse 24. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And after that, in verse 33... He says, let each man see that he loves his wife as as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And this idea of respect is huge for us in our culture today. I think in a lot of ways for us, respect is harder than love. Wives, it's easy sometimes, even when you're upset with your husband to say, I love you. I still love you. No matter what you've done, I still love you. Because there's this idea of grace and love. At least for us, where we can say, you know what, even though you blew it, I still love you. But it's harder in those moments, wives, for you to come to your husband and say, I respect you. Despite what's happened, I still respect you. And this idea of respect is huge when it comes to a marriage relationship. It's huge when it comes to this idea of love. Respect is harder. What happens when... A wife is respecting her husband. There's a great passage in um, Proverbs 31 where it talks about what it means to be a godly woman. In verses 11, 12, it says about her, the heart of her husband trusts in her. and He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. This is an intentional thing where a wife is intentionally working to bring good to her husband, even outside the context of the family. Uh, I'm coming up on being 35 years old, and uh, in those 35 years, I can't remember a single time where I ever heard my mother speak poorly of my father. I can't remember one time. I'm sure that they had their moments. I'm sure that they had their fights. I'm sure that they had their quarrels, but they didn't have him in front of the family. And I never was able to hear my mom say anything negative. About my dad, even though I know he made big mistakes, she always respected him and spoke well 
about him. I remember one situation where, um, I don't know if this is true of you guys, but sometimes when you're doing like home repairs or painting, um, those are moments in marriage where tensions like really kind of like creep up because you can't agree on paint color or somebody's mad that somebody got paint on something. I don't know what happens, but, um, but it's hard to agree sometimes. And sometimes we see struggles and fights out of things like that. And so I remember one time when we were painting the living room at my parents' house and my parents got in this discussion because the paint ran out and they were like, somebody's got to go get paint. Nobody wanted to go get paint. And so my parents were kind of back and forth on it. And I, having not seen my parents argue much, got like scared. And I even said, I was like, are you guys okay? Like, I'm worried that you might like split up over this. And my parents just both started laughing at me at that point, which is a great response. It eased all the tension. And, and my mom looked at me and she said, I can never, ever think about being apart from your dad. I love him and he has cons- consistently shown love to me throughout our entire time together. And for me, that was a huge moment. A wife who, even in difficulty, is showing great respect to her husband. I think it's hard for us today because we live in a culture where husbands aren't really respected. If you watch television, you usually see men or husbands in three different ways. One, um, they're either stupid and can't do anything right on most comedies that you watch on TV. Number two, they're abusive and dictators and they don't love their wives well at all. Or number three, uh, they're constantly cheating on their wives it's rare for us to see in media and our culture an example of a husband who's leading well. And I think that makes it hard inside of a Christian context, wives, for you to respect your husband well because culture is not respecting husbands well at all. Another reason I think is difficult is because a lot of you may have grown up in a family where, honestly, your dad maybe wasn't living a life that deserved respect. Your family was falling apart and you had difficult marriages. And so you weren't really able to see what a good godly marriage looks like. And so it's hard for you to know what it means to respect a man, to respect your husband, because you haven't really seen it before. So what are some ways, wives, that we can, you can learn to respect your husband well? I think uh, first, keep him in the right position. This is big. The hierarchy of love in your life should go like this. Jesus is first. My spouse, my husband is second. My kids are third. And the rest of my family is after that. And then everybody else in my life. I think we get this wrong today in several ways. Um, Number one, anytime we put Jesus anywhere but first, we're getting this wrong. Jesus is the only one who deserves that first position in our lives. And for us to put anybody else there, uh, Darren said this last week, is like putting, uh, creating an idol in our lives. And so if we put our spouse above our relationship with Jesus, then it means that we have created an idol out of our spouse. Jesus has got to be first if things are going to work well. Another way we do this is we put our kids above our spouse. And this, wives, I know this is an easy trap to fall into. I know it's a struggle because most of you are probably spending more time with your children than you are with your spouse. And so how are you as a wife supposed to keep your husband, keep that relationship primary uh, when it comes to your relationship and this marriage? 
It doesn't change the fact that Scripture is elevating the relationship between a husband and wife to be greater than the relationship between a parent and a child. And that's not belittling that relationship. It's incredibly important. But what it's saying is that to love, husbands, for you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, um, that's a greater call than has ever been seen in Scripture for how a parent relates to their kid. And we've got to keep that tension in the right place. Remember, you're raising not children, you're raising adults. You want your kids, when they grow up, to understand the value of marriage, that they can see in your marriage what it means for them to have this great relationship, what it means for them to be able to grow up and value that in their own life later. They need to see it in your marriage today. Uh, number three, another way we mess this up is we put our Sometimes we put our old family above our new family. We struggle when it comes to um, leaving our father and mother and becoming one flesh, really learning what it means to rely on each other in this new family union. Um, My parents did a great job of this. When I married Emily, um, not only did I leave the house, but they were like, you're on your own. You're responsible now. We have poured into you. We have invested in you. Um, we're certainly here. We love you, but we don't want you to bring your troubles to us. We want you guys to work these things out together to learn what it means to become one in this way. So uh, wives work to keep your husband in the right position. Number two, always speak well of him. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I know it's easy, wives, when you get together, whether it's lunch, coffee, whatever it is, conversation usually goes two directions, kids or husbands. And I think a lot of times when the conversation is going towards husbands, it's not always gracious. It's not always good talk. It's not always building them up. Sometimes we run into culturally kind of what we call husband bashing. Wives, you need to be diligent to always speak well about your husband. Here's a few ways you can, you can kind of think through that. Number one, rather than belittling your husband with your words, pray for him with your words. As you pray for your husband, you're going to learn to respect your husband more. You're going to learn uh, that, you know, he's working through this and struggling through this to be more like Jesus. And I need to help him along that path. Number two, And before you speak and say something negative about him, think about how you would feel if he said that about you. How would that make you feel if he said those words about you? And number three, um, find opportunities to speak well about him. It may not be when you're sitting around the table with a bunch of women uh, who are bashing their husbands for you to stand up and say, well, my husband's perfect. He does this and this and this because they're going to be like, okay. But find opportunities outside of that to speak well about your husband, to talk about the things that he does well in your marriage. Um, Number three, make a list. If you're struggling with this, take the time to write down when your husband does something well, whether it's working hard, providing for your family, him being faithful, him getting up and cooking breakfast for you guys. Make a list of that and then take that list and encourage him with it. Appreciate him with it. The wife who helps, brings joy to you and respects her husband is allowing him to greater, more easily lead, serve, and disciple you and his family. God has created these two relationships to work together. 
And if a husband is leading, serving, and discipling, and if a wife is helping, bringing joy, and respecting, that they come together and we see the picture of beauty of one relationship that is modeling Jesus and displaying the gospel so that people who don't know Jesus are able to see what love is really about. And they need to be seeing that in our marriages. This morning, we have a great opportunity. We've got a couple of ladies who are going to come and share with us about what this looks like in their marriage. And uh, they just did such an incredible job in the first service. And I'm excited for you to hear, not just from me, who is not a wife who's trying to live out a biblical life, but to hear from them about what it means to be a wife who is striving um, to exhibit these qualities inside of their marriage. So we're going to kind of pull our chairs up and uh, we'll have this conversation together. Um, Heather, I'm going to start with you. So last week we had Darren up here and Darren let us know that you guys have been married uh, almost 12 years now, which is super exciting. Uh, What does it mean um, for you as Darren's wife in your marriage um, to work to be a woman who is uh, helping and loving her husband in that way daily? Um, It wasn't something that came naturally or something real easily that um, I just fell into. Growing up, I was raised in a home that we didn't go to church. We only went on the major holidays. Um, My parents both have been through multiple divorces, so I never saw what it looked like to be a biblical wife, what it looked like um, to be a biblical husband, and how those two complement each other and work together. So it's something that I really had to learn and continue to learn. Um, Some of the things that I do to learn that is, you know, diving into the Word Um, seeing what scripture says about it, praying about it. You know, every day I pray for Darren uh, to lead our family and to be able to demonstrate to others what it looks like to be a godly man. And then I also pray for myself. Like I said, it's, it doesn't come naturally. It's something that you do have to learn and you have to work on. So I pray that God uses me and gives me the strengths um, that I need and the traits that I need to be a biblical wife, you know, encouraging him, um, you know, praising him. And also just lifting him up. I don't speak poorly about him. Um, as you said, it can be tempting when your friends are bashing. But, you know, there's not that there's a lot to share poorly about Darren. Um, you know, but just making sure that I'm always encouraging him, even when he's not around. Um, and also, you know, if I do have a problem, we speak about it one-on-one in private. That's There's no business with anybody else. It's between us and God. Um, and then the second part of that is... Outside of the home, I am a leader. I am in the business. I am a manager. And my role is to be the leader. My role is to make important decisions, to be um, assertive, and to take the lead. And I just have to remind myself that in my marriage, that's not my role. My role is to be his cheerleader, to complete him, and to lift him up, and making sure that I'm doing what I can, that he can fill his role that God has given him. That's really good. That's really good. It's great to see... um, that, you know, like you said, that's something that you've kind of had to learn, but that you are really taking what God's word says seriously um, because you didn't have an example of that. And now you're, you're kind of striving to see, um, to see that scripture comes to life, that God's love comes to life in your marriage. And so um, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Donna, you and uh, Kevin have been married for 27 years which is just incredible to pretty much all of us in here who are, are really far behind you guys. And uh, I'm sure that you... Go ahead and say it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, it's it's amazing. Uh, 
And it's something that we all need to, to, to strive for and shoot for. Uh, I'm sure that in that time that you've seen Kevin at his best and that you've seen Kevin at his worst, even though I'm sure that's not bad at all. Uh, <laughs> what, what does it mean for you throughout all these years to um, be a wife who, who respects him through the ups and the downs of, of marriage? Well, um, like I told Joel, I, if I hadn't sent my notes to him really late last night, I would have thought he just used my notes because he hit it pretty much spot on. Um, early in our marriage, God, uh, I was, I had the opportunity to go through Proverbs 31 with another mother and, uh, um, God really laid the verse on my heart, the heart of her husband, trust in her and he will have no lack of gain. Um, she does him good and not harm all the days of her lives. So um, that was something that, that I wanted to, to try to live out in the model. And I asked God to help me um, know what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. Um, we have a fantastic marriage. Uh, we, I have been extremely blessed um, to not only have a, a wonderful, godly husband, but my best friend that we have a good time together. But to sit up here and say we've never had troubles um, it's, it, we, we've never had troubles, but we have had really, really, really hard times uh, at times. And a rough patch, that's one of those that can either make you or break you. And um, when it's times like that, this a make or break situation, it's when God really um, brought to my attention what you need to do to um, live this out and to, to make sure that Kevin knows that his heart can trust in me. Um, Kevin you know, entrusted his heart to God first and foremost, but he's entrusted his heart to me also. And, uh, that's an awesome responsibility and a joyful responsibility. Um, I think one of the first things that God taught me is for Kevin's heart to be able to trust me. Um, he has to know that our relationship is primary. Um, he has to not just hear me say that uh, he's important, that he's my, my primary relationship, but he has to believe that. And, you know, it's one thing to, to hear it, but to actually know that you can trust that. Um, so God has, has helped me learn uh, as I've grown with Kevin and got to know him what I can do to help him believe that his heart is safe with me. Um, one thing is I found out through... Um, the book that we've heard about so much, the five love languages. Kevin's love language is words of affirmation. Uh, it's really important for him to be encouraged and to know that I support him and know that that uh, I believe in him and I, I trust what he's doing because I know he's seeking after God first and foremost. Um, so that's something that's really important that he has to be able to believe that. Um, at the end of a really hectic day, especially all of you that have little kids. I know when your husband gets home and you've had dirty diapers and poopy stuff around the house and your kids are screaming, um, it's really hard at the end of the day to go, hi, honey, how are you? How's your day? I hope it's been great. Some days you don't feel that way. Um, but I always try to, even if it's all the way at the point where we fall into the bed, to ask him, how's your day been? Um, what's what's going on? And just make that time where he knows that I want to know what's going on with him. Um, something else that's important to him is that we can spend time together. So even if it's just 30 minutes of watching TV together and being lazy, 
um, that's important for us to make out that time and to carve out that time. Um, God also taught me that laughter is very important. Uh, Kevin and I are, have a very twisted, sick sense of humor that complements <laughs> each other very well. <laughs> but we've, uh, through the years, we've got, had inside jokes and things that we laugh about with each other that nobody else knows about. But when we're in a room and it may be a stressful situation, we can look across the room at each other and smile because we know what the other one's thinking because we've had the time to share that thought together with each other sometime and uh, so if you ever see us laughing it's something that seems inappropriate that's why <laughs> uh, the the uh, the last one and probably the most important thing is that kevin's heart is able to trust and to know that i mean him good and no harm all the days of my life is that he knows that i respect him when i'm away from him um it is so important not to get involved with husband bashing. Um, and it's so easy to fall into that trap when you're, you're sitting with your girlfriends and uh, you're just dumping all your, your frustration. Um, but I hope that Kevin knows that um, I always try to speak highly of him. I don't say, well, this, this, da-da. you know, you, you have to be very careful what you say. And that includes in prayer requests. Um, when I'm with my huddle or uh, with my prayer partners, you know, it's so easy to say, well, I would love for you to play for Kevin because, you know, Kevin needs blah, 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 blah. God knows what Kevin needs. That's a conversation that needs to be between me and my father and not between me and my prayer partners. They don't have to tell God. He already knows. Um, so it's, it's very important that, that his heart trusts that, that I'm not out there uh, doing that. And for us to respect our husbands is a command from God. It's not a suggestion. So I would encourage you to, to strive for that. See how God wants you to do that, especially if your husband's a non-believer. Um, because if he's not a believer, your respect may just be the catalyst that God can use to soften his heart toward Jesus. And you'll be able to help him come to the Lord through that. That's great. Donna, thank you so much for that. And I know it's uh, super helpful for the wives that are in here today just to hear from your experience and, and what God has been doing in your marriage. Do you mind taking just a second as we kind of transition to just pray for our wives that are here this morning? Father, we thank you so much, Father, for our marriages, Lord, that um, you've given us each other to love. Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, take these words that have been spoken today. Lord, help us to just be overwhelmed first with who you are and what you've done for us, Father, and that through that we can come to love each other more and uh, serve you better. Lord, just help us to model this for our children. And, uh, Lord, we just ask you to bless all the families. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're-